Welcome, everybody, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am joined by my great co-host, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the legendary Nathan Yonke. How goes it, good sir? Uh, It's going well. Excited to be talking tight ends today. Excited to get one week closer to getting closer to training camps and preseason and all of that fun stuff finally going to start getting going in a month or so. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a, definitely an exciting time. That kind of dead zone of the the off season is is kind of wrapping up now. We're in we're within the 100 days of of kickoff now as well. So, uh, getting pretty excited. Obviously, we got a lot more content planned for for the rest of the off season. But yeah, I'm excited to um, wrap up our positional preview series as well. And then uh, we even got something new and fun planned for the the end of the podcast. But uh, um, before we get started, I, I do want to mention that this episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. As a parent, your top priority is always your children's well-being. You want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive, both now and in the future. With term life insurance from Fabric by Gerber Life, help protect your family so their future is secure no matter what happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable life term insurance policy quickly, often in less than 10 minutes. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your own time. And if you need extra support, you can access a team of licensed agents who can answer questions along the way. Take steps to help protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFF. That's meetfabric.com slash PFF. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFF. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using fabric technologies not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. All right, let's get back at it by wrapping up this positional preview for the NFL's offensive superstars by talking about the tight end position, uh, whether you want to take an elite option early in drafts, fade the position altogether, or if you have a favorite target somewhere in the middle, we'll take a look at a number of names to hopefully cover all strategies for the position and give our thoughts on some of our favorite targets and dart throws at the position as well. Uh, We have five tiers to go over with, I think, 30 tight ends included. But uh, of course, if you want more than that, Nathan and I both have our ranking articles up on pff.com right now that anyone can check out this offseason. And then we'll be updating those up until the start of the season as well. Uh, Now, this, just like all our other positional previews, which you can go back and listen to right now if you haven't already, We'll be focused on PPR scoring while we might acknowledge like tight end premium at some point along the way as well. We're we're focusing in on PPR as we have each of the past three episodes. So uh, with that in mind, here's how the position has scored on average since 2013 in PPR for the top 12, 24, 36 and 48 tight ends. So tight end one, 11.2 points per game. 
Tight end two, 7.6 points per game. Tight end three, 6.3 points per game. And tight end four, just four points per game. So definitely the lowest scoring of the offensive positions across the board there. Um, and we might get into that as well as we go through here, but we'll get rolling. We both have um, a lot of players in this first tight end tier. Uh, oh, wait, no, we don't. Uh, Nate, <laughs> who is our standalone tier one tight end for anyone who may be new to fantasy football and is unfamiliar with this gentleman? Uh, yeah, so Travis Kelsey is the clear cut number one tight end with no one anywhere close to him. Uh, even though we both agree he's tight end one, just to talk about him for a while. Um, he scored more than 100 points more than any other tight end in PPR scoring last year. I will admit I was lower on him last year than most people, and there were a number of reasons why that ended up not being the case. Uh, one, he is on the older side for skill players. He's 33, going to be 34, which makes him the oldest running back or wide receiver or tight end that anyone will be considering in their fantasy drafts this year. So I was a little concerned about his age and his play declined a little bit in 2021 that rebounded in a big way in 2022. Uh, the second highest receiving grade and offensive grade of his career, which makes him one of the best tight ends of all time, going to be a Hall of Fame tight end. Um, even though I think he's the clear cut number one tight end and why people will be drafting him in first rounds is um, even though he won't score as much as some wide receivers or running backs, it's just the gap between him and everyone else is so high. I am concerned a little bit about regression for him this year, um, particularly near the goal line um, when they were within 10 yards of scoring. Uh, he saw 19 targets, uh, scored eight touchdowns in those situations. Um, and ran more routes than anyone else in those situations. And that's not just comparing him to tight ends in 2022. That's comparing him to every tight end season of the past 15 years. He was seeing significantly more routes, targets, receptions, uh, touchdowns in those situations. So that's just bound to regress just because we've never seen anything like it. And it's unlikely they'll see that huge of opportunities again, like Kelsey has four of the top 10 seasons in most of those categories in general, but it was just so much further than anything we've seen from him or anyone else. So I do think we'll see a little bit of touchdown regression this year, but even if he regresses in terms of uh, his quality of play a little bit, and he doesn't see as many touchdowns that still places him as the top tight end by a decent margin from everyone else. The biggest concern would be if some of these young wide receivers start to step up as well, which would decrease some of that overall volume. But as long as that overall volume is there, it's so much more than every other tight end. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? I mean, if it were, any other position I, i'd kind of feel like uncomfortable putting just one player in a tier of their own i just think it's typically like a recipe recipe for disappointment but yeah kelsey's he's earned the right to be like kind of the one exception to the rule obviously like you mentioned that the risk there obviously as he's getting older we just don't see a lot of 34 year old receiving options continue to be elite you know fantasy producers um there, there's probably going to be a drop off at some point. Um, we thought it might be last year after 2021, but like you said, that that rebound really was was huge. So it's it's hard to bet on it too much, but it's going to come at some point, right? It's just when is it going to happen? I, I I still like him a lot this year. I mean, 
you, you just look at last season, obviously we know he's been like the overall tight end one in what six of the past seven years, something like that. So if you look at just last year with 11 top five finishes for the position, I mean, his lowest weekly finish was tight end 15. So you, you're just getting such a, such a high floor already for him. And it just gives you such a positional advantage um, going Kelsey typically where I'm looking at him usually around like the kind of the 107 mark is the earliest spot for me if I'm drafting in that range. So I do like like a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, and then like Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler at at, at running back ahead of him. Um, but yeah, if he's falling further than that, that's usually where I typically would end up with with Travis Kelsey this year. Yeah, I have him. Uh... Number eight overall in PPR, I have them right around there, both half PPR and non-PPR. It's something where if you have interesting scoring settings, it's definitely important to check that out. For example, the Scott Fish Bowl, which starts in uh, less than a month from now in a number of ways, and that scoring system is one where um, he could be even more valuable than what we have him in normal PPR leagues. If you have any sort of tight end premium, that definitely bumps him up as well of just... If you don't have him, there's absolutely no way that you're going to find someone who can replace the kind of production that he puts out at that position. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah, Kelsey stands alone uh, at, in tier one. But how about tier two? Who are the guys that uh, you put into that tier? Sure. I start off with Mark Andrews at tight end two, uh, TJ Hawkinson after being traded to the Vikings at tight end three. Uh, George Kittle at four after he finally scored a bunch of touchdowns last season. Um, I have Kyle Pitts at five, Dallas Goddard at six, and Darren Waller at seven. Nice. Yeah, so there our first three are exactly the same. I have Andrews Hawkinson Kittle at two, three, four, and then I have Dallas Goddard at five and Kyle Pitts at six, and I, I did push Darren Waller down a tier. So um, why don't we talk about the first discrepancy in our ranks here, which is uh, Kyle Pitts versus Dallas Goddard. You have Pitts uh, higher. I have Goddard one spot higher. What do you like about uh, Kyle Pitts this year? I have Pitts higher. I got a Falcons jersey work done yeah. right now. If you've only been listening to us, you haven't seen all the jerseys I've been wearing. But if you check out our YouTube channel, you'll see I've been wearing a different NFL jersey each week um, this week going with the Falcons to represent Kyle Pitts um, with Pitts. I know he disappointed last year. Uh, one, the first thing that I know with him, he's still only 22 years old. If you look at any kind of age curves at tight end or look at tight end production in the past, um, it's really remarkable what he's done before this point in his career, even though we had so high expectations for him and he didn't reach those expectations last year. So um, I do think he's still improving as a player in general, um, with that in mind, he had the highest targets per route run last year among tight ends. Um, 40% of his receptions went for over 15 yards, which was the second best for tight ends. Um, he was leading the league in targets prior to his injury. If you look at intermediate and deep targets combined, it was really just he wasn't seeing those short targets that a lot of tight ends see. He was outside of the top 20 in those situations. So um, I really like him as a player still. It's only the offense that concerns most people and me included. Uh, one thing is they were just too run heavy last season so when they went to Desmond Ritter at quarterback they started throwing the ball a little bit more which makes me a little more optimistic that they'll start throwing the ball more often this season than they were last season 
Um, they also lost three of their top five wide receivers um, in free agency. Uh, they added Matt Collins, Scott Miller, Penny Hart, which none of those are really going to scare defenses. So even though he's still a tight end and not a wide receiver, I expect him to be used even more like a wide receiver next season than he was last season. Um, he led all tight ends in targets um, when he lined up outside of the numbers last season, despite missing a number of games with injuries. So like we see arguments that tight ends are more like wide receivers, but we often think of them like the sort of like slot receivers, but he was being more like an outside receiver than we even see some slot receivers being. So with the lack of depth at wide receiver, I could see him playing even more wide receiver this season. Um, they added Jonu Smith at tight end, so that can allow them to have um, potentially a lot of 13 personnel where they have two tight ends in line as blockers, and then that will allow Pitts to line up out wide, or they can move Pitts around so it could look like a passing formation or a rushing formation, which definitely puts them at a huge advantage. So for me with Pitts, a lot of it is – um, the talent's clearly there. I think he has the, if anyone has the upside to reach Kelsey, I think Pitts is the player who can do it if they start targeting him or if they start just throwing the ball more and targeting him as much as they were last season. So um, obviously the drawback is that they don't have the quarterback that Kansas City has. So um, even if Pitts starts playing as well as Kelsey is, he probably still won't see the fantasy production that Kelsey's seeing. But I think Pitts is capable of, getting there after Desmond Ritter can step up significantly as a quarterback. Yeah, I like it. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm still 100% a believer in, in Kyle Pitts. I know I'm not the only one. And then I know there are plenty of people who claim to just kind of be out on him because of last year where he was hurt and he had poor quarterback play, which, okay, I guess. I mean, but yeah, I'll uh, for Pitts and Goddard, I'll, I'll alternate for sure, depending on the draft. Um, really, this whole tier, I'm kind of alternating a little bit as I draft, but I, I do like each guy quite a bit. So depends on how I approach the draft. I'm not typically like a set strategy guy, but I've seen Pitts fall into the seventh round and that that's kind of an automatic grab for me there, especially if I haven't gone tight end yet. But yeah, you just look at his numbers from last year, like you said, it, everything that is there that the recipe for like an elite tight end. And the one thing, you know, with the, with all those targets, only 59% of his targets were actually deemed catchable by PFF, which ranked dead last among tight ends with at least 25 targets. So just a massive blow to like his potential production and, and an area that we hope we'll see an improvement this season with De Desmond Ritter under center, but not a guarantee by any means, obviously. Plus they're still likely to be that kind of run heavy team, like you said, which is why I kind of have them at the bottom of tier two versus the middle or, or higher, but you're right. The upside is absolutely there. If they start to, um, be able to implement him more in the passing game or, or implement more of a passing game, I should say, and then actually get him the ball um, so that he can make a, a catch on those plays. Cause we do know that he is one of the better receiving tight ends in the league already so far in his short career. But um, as for Dallas Goddard, I, I know he missed five games last regular season, still saw about six targets per game. And that, that did continue into the playoffs last year, which if he's not in the lineup, the Eagles aren't really bothering to tar target the tight end position, but he is one of the better target earners at tight end in the league. And, and then what he can do with the ball in his hands is what really makes me like him a lot. Very similar to kind of AJ Brown last week when we talked about him, it, it's about a target quality plus like a bonus production potential. One 
once they get the ball that makes me fall in love with these guys because that yards after catch per reception it does matter it is one of the more stable metrics for tight ends year over year and he's one of the best in the league in that regard last year he tied for first with 7.8 yards after the catch per reception uh, 6.8 the year before that which was also a top five mark so I I like that quite a bit for him Um, you know typically Goddard does tend to go after Pitts for the most part from what I've seen. So again, you know, that seventh round is usually where I'm getting the majority of my Goddard or Pitts or the majority of my tight end shares, just whichever one of these tier two guys kind of falls into that range, which means I typically would have less exposure to like a Mark Andrews, Hawkinson or, or Kittle, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy with a Goddard or Pitts in that range. Cause those other guys usually like third or fifth round somewhere around there, I'd say. Yeah, to me, this is like a clear-cut example of how risky do you want to be when drafting Goddard feels incredibly safe pick. His fantasy points per game has slowly been increasing each season. Um, his PFF grades clearly been elite in recent seasons. Um, he finished second in receiving yards per game, which was second best for tight ends last year. And I expect that to continue. I think he's going to continue seeing plenty of yards. I think the big issue is he only saw three touchdowns um, with how much they like running the ball near the goal line. I don't think Goddard's going to increase touchdowns all that much. Um, I could see the receiving production maybe going down a little bit just because they added more options in the run game as well as a little bit in the receiving game. Obviously not a ton, but I think that could slightly decrease his volume, especially if they just start running more when they're up late in game. So um, my problems with Goddard, nothing to do with the player whatsoever. It's just the situation with Philadelphia of there are so many good options in that offense and they're going to be winning games. So they don't need to be throwing the ball late and they don't like getting him a lot of touchdowns. So um, I think he's very safe. I think he's definitely going to be a top seven fantasy tight end this year, as long as he doesn't get injured. And I think at the very least he'll be top seven in fantasy points per game at tight end, like he was last year. And like he's been in recent seasons, I just have a harder time seeing him potentially being a top three or top four tight end, since I don't think he'll get the volume as some of the other tight ends in this tier. And I don't think he has the potential to get as many touchdowns as other tight ends in this year in this tier, but he's definitely a fairly safe pick. And like, if I'm drafting, if I don't get Travis Kelsey, I definitely want one of these tight ends in this second tier. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good call. Yeah. And then the, the one other discrepancy we had in these ranks uh, within this tier, you had Darren Waller up, here at uh tight end seven i had him just one tier lower at tight end nine but uh you're obviously higher on on waller this year what makes you like uh darren waller heading to the new york giants uh for me a lot of it's the upside compared to some of the tight ends in tier three um over the last three seasons he's ranked second in receptions per game targets per game uh fourth in fantasy points per game regardless of your scoring system so he's been a very good tight end when he's been healthy the problem is he hasn't been as healthy these past two seasons um a lot of those stats were helped by his 2020 where he had 17 fantasy points per game uh took a little bit step back in efficiency in 2021 and while he hasn't graded quite as well as he was at his peak he's still been a top 10 uh receiving tight end by pff grade And the guys that we have ahead of him in PFF grade, but I don't have ahead of him in these rankings, uh, Rob Gronkowski, who's retired, and then Pat Fryermuth and David Nujoku. Um, 
both of them I have in tier three, but I just think Waller's opportunity with the Giants is so much higher uh, just because he should be the top option in this offense in the past game. I think Kelsey and Mark Andrews are probably the only other clear-cut top options that are tight ends on their team in terms of receiving. So I think volume will definitely be there in New York. Um, They've had a history of throwing to tight ends. And if Waller is able to return to being the player that he was just two, three years ago, then I think he has that potential to be a top three, top four fantasy tight end. And even if he's not, I think he'll be a pretty safe top 10 just because volume in this Giants offense, where I think other guys in tier three are safe to be right around the top 10, just don't have that upside to get into the top five. Like I think someone like Waller has. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I, I'm with you. I love the talent of Waller. Um, obviously, you know, concerned about the constant health issues over the last couple of seasons, much of those um, and, and and then kind of how much of those injuries, you know, that he probably plays through even when he is on the field, because we did see to see, seem to see some of his like, you know, kind of after the catch numbers take a decent hit last year as well. He, you know, didn't force a single missed tackle. We saw that yak per reception drop to like 2.8 when it's never been below 4.2 in his career. So I, I do think he was dealing with more last season and, and you know, for a guy getting up there in, in football age, I should say, um, you know, turning 31 this season, I definitely get it, especially as someone who still attempts to play football in his 30s. I do not recover the same way that I used to. Um, I'm much more prone to aches and pains before, during and after games. So and that's a non-contact league. So I'm not blaming him. I, I do hope he bounces back this year. I definitely believe he can, um, which is why I have him in kind of that uh, that top 10 range as tight end nine. I, I, I guess I'm worried about maybe missing time. I do think, you know, to finish higher, he's probably going to need to play close to all 17 games. I just worry that that might be too much to expect from him at this point in his career, even on a new team with a fresh start. But I I do like what you said. I think he is the favorite to lead the team uh, in targets when he's on the field. I think it, I think it'll be fairly close. though. there's a couple other options there, but um, yeah, I, I still like the potential of Waller as a top 10 tight end. Yeah, I think with the Giants wide receivers, though, like they have so many that can be rotating in and out that like trying to figure out who's going to be their starting three wide receivers, you could list seven or eight guys who have a realistic chance of being there. So like I could see him leading in uh, targets simply by being the player that's on the field and not rotating in and out where I don't think they'll rotate their tight ends nearly as much with how much they have invested in Waller, where the wide receivers, it could be different guys every single week, basically. For sure. Definitely. Um, All right, let's go on to tier three here. Uh, Who did you have in uh, tier number three? Sure. So a smaller tier for me, I have Pat Fryermuth at tight end eight, Evan Ingram at nine, uh, Dalton Schultz now with the Texans at 10, and David Njoku at 11 with the Browns. Nice. Yeah, so mine's my tier is a little bit bigger. So I put tight end seven in here, which was Evan Ingram for me. Uh, and then I put David Njoku at eight. Darren Waller comes in at nine, like I said before. And then Pat Fryermuth at tight end 10. Um, Dalton Schultz at tight end 11. And then I put Chigozim Okonkwo uh, from the Tennessee Titans at tight end 12. I snuck him into this uh, third tier. We both have him at tight end 12. I, I know I have him a tier higher. Um, 
So maybe I guess I could talk about Oconquo a little bit here. But yeah, for me, I mean, Austin Hooper commanded a lot of the receiving snaps in that offense Uh, last year. It was like 57% versus 31% for Oconquo. So uh, as a result, Oconquo only played 50% of the Titans uh, offensive snaps. Hooper's now off to Las Vegas and Oconquo now stands alone as kind of the favorite to, to target um, or to take over the targets for the tight end one role in Tennessee. Um, last year, he had a position leading 2.61 yards per route run and a 26.2% target rate, which led to a 31.3% explosive play rate. Those are really promising numbers uh, for a tight end, even on a smaller sample size. It's really nice to see. I think that's what we're both you know, kind of excited about for him, even though it was a smaller sample size. Um, and then he tied for the position lead in yards after the catch per reception reception at 7.8 with Dallas Goddard. He averaged 0.22 missed tackles forced per reception, which was also a top five num- number among tight ends with at least 30 targets. So I, I, I do think with an increased snap share and target rate, obviously those numbers might come down a little bit, but he's showed enough on that smaller sample size that he looks like a very promising uh, tight end option, especially in a very volatile position where production is hard to come by um i think he's worth taking the shot on here within the top 12 and you know in that kind of tier three range even though you probably don't have to draft them as close to some of these other tight ends that are in this range but i do think he's a good bet to finish as at, at least as a low-end tight end one on a team that you know targeted the tight end position at a top three rate last season as well so i'm pretty excited about Oconquo. how about you um my concern is like i think the playing time could still be an issue with him like any stat that you looked at yards per out run fantasy points per route he was the top tight end last year on a small sample size the only problem is he was 50th in routes run and we've seen this in Tennessee for a couple years now where they like to have a bit of a rotation at tight end have two guys who are playing in 12 personnel maybe one of them's playing in 11 personnel on early downs and then someone else is playing in 11 personnel on third downs like we thought Austin Hooper could have a bigger role in this off- offense. We thought Johnu Smith a couple of years ago would have a bigger role in this offense, but they pretty continuously use different players in different spots. And they have it, uh, Trevin Wesco in free agency, who's been a clear run blocker so far in his career. I definitely think he'll be playing in 12 personnel. And then I don't know how Josh Wiley will fit into the mix, but Tennessee loves using a lot of tight ends and loves rotating them. So I could see them having four on the roster. Uh, Jeff Swaim has been someone that the last couple of years took significant snaps at tight end for them. Um, I believe he's still a free agent, so he could still resign if Tennessee wants to add another tight end. So I think Conquo is uh, potentially more talented than some of the tight ends that they've had in recent years. So ideally that's good enough for him to see increased playing time, but, My concern is that maybe he starts playing more in 11 personnel, but then stops playing as much in 12 personnel and they start having more blockers in those situations. So they haven't really had a tight end on that team finish in the top 15 in recent years with this coaching staff. Um, I think he's someone where once we start to see the preseason, I could start being higher on him. And even though, like you said, we both have him at tight end 12, you have him closer to these other tight ends in this tier where I have him closer to everyone else. Mm-hmm. But in the recent years, we've seen some of this uh, rotation at tight end in the preseason. And if everyone's playing, they're using their tight end similarly to how they end up 
getting used in the regular season, which is why in the preseason in past years, I've started up higher on Tennessee tight ends and then started getting lower as the preseasons progress, seeing them not see as much many snaps in all situations as you would hope to see. So I think for me, it's he has the talent that if he starts seeing as much playing time as we hope, then he could be even higher. He could end up in tier two. But unlike the other players in this tier who I think are relatively safe options, I think he could be lower in that. He could be somewhere in the tight end 15 to 20 range, even though his per play stats will continue to be really good. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's definitely, you know, a concern. So even though we love the kind of underlying numbers, it's definitely, you know, reasons to temper expectations for for Okonkwo here in uh, 2023. So um, before we move on to tier four, we do have one more sponsor we'd like to shout out, and that is DraftKings. So the player you benched in fantasy football just went off with best ball on DraftKings. You get the best of your team all season long. This year, best ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home $1 million top prize. Head to DraftKings' app and sign up with the code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued at 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. All right, tier four. Who do you All have right, tier going four. here? I have a good uh, nine players in this tier, I believe. Um, like we just talked about, Okonkwo at 12. Then I have Tyler Higby at tight end 13. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, the rookie with the Bills, at tight end 14. Uh, Greg Dultz at tight end 15 with the Broncos. Uh, Cole Komet at 16. Juwan Johnson with the Saints at 17. Uh, Gerald Everett with the Chargers at 18. Uh, Sam Laporta with the Lions at 19. Irv Smith Jr., who the Bengals added in free agency at 20, and then Mike Gusecki, who was added to the Patriots at tight end 21. Nice. Yep. Um, I also have nine players in my tier four. So I got Tyler Higby with the Rams at 13, Cole Komet at 14, uh, Gerald Everett with the Chargers at 15. Then I put Irv Smith at tight end 16, Greg Dolchich at 17, Dalton Kincaid at 18, Juwan Johnson at 19. And then I put Zach Ertz of the Cardinals at tight end 20 and Sam Laporta of the Lions at tight end 21. So one of the ones that stands out off the top is Dalton Kincaid. You have him as tight end 14. I have him as tight end 18, even within this same tier. Um, what is it about uh, the rookie Dalton Kincaid that you like in Buffalo? Sure. So at this point in the rankings, it's a lot of looking for upside. Um, if you looked at our tier three, we didn't talk too much about some of the other tight ends that we agreed on, but those are relatively safe options uh, with Friar Muth. Ingram and Ujoku, all three of them with the same teams that they've been on recently with the same quarterbacks. We've seen what they can do. 
They don't have the same talent as the tight ends in tiers one and tier two, but they see a lot of opportunities and that should stay the same. So they're relatively safe options, but they're probably not going to be people that get into the top five at tight ends, barring injuries to the tight ends in the top two tiers. So at this point, it's likely I'm trying to pair someone with one of those tight ends who I think could do really well. And I think Kincaid fits that description. Um, He's probably the second best tight end prospect that we've seen coming out of the draft in the past five years Um, outside of Kyle Pitts. I believed he was the highest tight end that we've had ranked in our draft rankings heading into the draft. And then a lot of it is the Buffalo offense that intrigues me about it. Um, I know Dawson Knox is still on the team, but Knox has been the best tight end in terms of touchdown per receptions in the past two years, in the past five years. Um, He just sees a lot of his receptions turned into touchdowns, which also means he doesn't see quite as many receptions, but he's been top 15 in both touchdowns and touchdowns per game, not just for tight ends, but all receivers. So um, the fact that he scores so many touchdowns is definitely helpful in fantasy. Uh, we've seen Knox be a top 10 fantasy tight end from this alone. And no offense to Knox, but Knox is a decent tight end worthy of being a starter in the league. But I don't think he has the same talent as Kincaid has. So I think Kincaid can be even better in this offense. I think they'll use him um, almost just as much as a slot receiver as a tight end. And we've seen in the past how successful slot receivers have been in this offense. And that wasn't as true last year because they just didn't have the same players in the slot as before. And um, a lot of this as well as why partially why I like Darren Waller so much um, in Brian Dable's offense, which is the old Bill's offense and that how much they like throwing to tight ends, especially in the red zone. So Um, A huge thing for tight ends is being able to score touchdowns and having that chance to score touchdowns. And when you don't have one of these top five, top seven guys, then the biggest thing that you can do is try to get someone who can score you a touchdown because chances are if they're not scoring you a touchdown, they're only going to score you a couple points by catching a few passes for uh, 30 to 40 yards. So if you can have someone that scores a touchdown, that's a huge difference. So I know there's definitely risk involved depending on how much they use him versus Knox or how much they increase their two tight end usage this year compared to past years. But I think the upside is there. And when you compare him to a bunch of these other tight ends where um, you've seen what they can do and you've seen that they're not top five fantasy tight ends. So I'd rather take a chance of someone who can get there versus someone who I know won't. Yeah, no, that's a good call. And I, yeah, I, I do like Kincaid. I guess I'm just more like kind of tempering expectations. I, I know the bills, you know, they weren't like uh, very high in, in tight end target rate last season, but I do think that will increase um, with Kincaid coming in and, you know, talking about how, how they plan to utilize him in that offense. Like you said, the more of the slot usage um, I know they've even referenced using him more like Travis Kelsey. So we'll, we'll see how much of that actually comes, you know, to fruition. It's not something I, I think, I guess that will happen right away. It could take a little, bit more time um for for him to kind of be uh this this great fantasy starter but you know i i do think second half of his rookie season at the earliest is where i think that'll start he'll start to become more relevant dawson Knox, yeah being there you know it, it takes away some but i think for mostly for me it was be, maybe more concerned that he'll take away some of those red zone targets or, or touchdown targets away from kincaid um and yeah i know you, you mentioned that there that 
that it could be Kincaid that takes over that role. So however it goes either way, it depends. We won't know until the season starts. It's going to be, um, it's going to be fun, obviously, because because of Kincaid's profile, like you mentioned. So I think he could be a really nice fit in that offense. I'm just kind of like tempering expectations, I guess, a little bit for his rookie season. That's fair. And like, I think part of tempering that expectations is not putting him in the top 12 since I can very well see him being a top 10 tight end for a number of years. Um, One note that you made that I want to comment on and that the Bills didn't target tight ends very much last year. And I think tight end targets in general are something that are a lot more tied to the quality of tight end that a team has more so than team history. Um, I know like people talk about Russell Wilson and how much he's thrown to tight ends. And that's very depending on the quality of tight end he's had. I think Matt Ryan is an extreme example of this, but Matt Ryan in his career um, didn't throw to tight ends much, then got Tony Gonzalez and they were one of the top teams at throwing to tight ends. Then they lost Tony Gonzalez. And for a number of years, they were one of the worst teams at throwing to tight ends. Then they got Kyle Pitts and then they started throwing to tight ends again. So um, (laughs) it's something where if you have a good tight end, you're going to throw to him. And if you don't, you're not going to. So I'm not all that concerned about that part of the Bills history and throwing to tight ends. I think as long as Kincaid has the talent, they're going to get him the ball where you see that a little bit at running backs too, that if you have a great receiving running back, they end up seeing more targets. And if you don't, then there's still going to be an option when like you're under pressure and you need to dump the ball off to someone. So it's not quite as true at running back because you see some running backs get targets, even if they're not as good just because of the situation. But you don't see that quite as much at tight end because you have the option to throw to other players too. So Mm -hmm. I think as long as Kincaid is as talented as we think he is, um, the Bills could be one of the top teams at throwing to tight ends if he's that talented. For sure. Yeah. Like I said, I, I do think it'll definitely increase, you know, they drafted him in the first round because they, they want to utilize him. Right. So I think he has the profile and it makes sense that it would increase this season. And yeah, like you said about the, the running backs too, it's, it is, it is kind of true too. Like if you look at Daniel Jones, um, for example, like with and without Saquon Barkley, his, his target rate to the running back is a lot higher, obviously with Barkley in the lineup than, than without. So, but yes, I definitely get what you're saying there. Um, so one of the other guys within this tier that I have a little bit higher, I, I went with Irv Smith. So um, we, we kind of touched on Irv Smith in our first episode um, when we looked at the ADP risers and fallers a few weeks ago, and I'm still fairly excited for him and, and kind of ready for that, that year five breakout, at least as like a, maybe a mid to high end tight end too. I think he's shown, you know, a, a strong ability to get open last season. He had a 67.6% open target rate um, per PFF and 26% of his targets were in the red zone in just eight games last season, led to a couple touchdowns in Minnesota. But um, again, the Bengals, not a team that typically targeted the tight end um, at a high rate last season, but I do think um, to your point, um, Irv Smith is kind of a, a one of the better target earners just be, I, I think he could be just because of his skill set and his ability to get open Um I'm not obviously super excited excited about him. I don't think he'll be the primary target in this offense, obviously, but I am confident, obviously, in the passing attack itself, led by Joe Burrow, um, and still a believer in the talent of Irv Smith there. So uh, for me, 
I guess what, you know, you mentioned the high upside thing. If you haven't gone tight end yet, I think a lot of the times what I've done in drafts is, is kind of taken from that tier two range, potentially even Travis Kelsey. And I'm looking to pair maybe a more consistent tight end in, in the tight end two spot, which is what I'm looking for in my backup um, in, in redraft is a guy that I can kind of you know, plug in and and play that that isn't necessarily going to kill me um, if I do have to play him more so than kind of like a boom bust, you know, low floor, high ceiling type guy like a Taysom Hill, for example, is somebody that I'm I'm thinking about. I'm not too worried about the kind of the boom weeks from the tight end twos because most likely when you put them in, they'll be they'll be duds, and and when you leave them on your bench is when they're going to go off, like the DraftKings ad says. Um, but thinking about yeah, again, Taysom Hill or or someone in that range, it, it's hard to know when those weeks are going to be. So I'd rather have my kind of surefire tight end one that I could kind of lock in each week, and if that guy misses a week or during a bye week, then I could put in you know a tight end two like an Irv Smith, um, who should have a decent floor. Uh, in you know a high-powered offense and even though again not the primary option should still get enough targets to be um productive while also having a potential big game upside every once in a while as well they're like my concern with him is a lot of it has to do with the Bengals offense um he's not going to be the top receiving option he's not going to be their second best receiving option i don't think he'll reach their third best receiving option and if you include joe mixon who should be in more in the passing game. Um, I don't know if he's their fourth best option in the passing game either. Um, like you said, they haven't been throwing to tight ends much. And I think a lot of that has to do with the players around him more so than the tight ends. They've had uh, Hayden Hurst there. They've had CJ Uzoma there. After their time with the Bengals, they went on to get seven or $8 million a year with their next contracts with their new team. So it's not like they've had bad options in Cincinnati at tight end. They've just had so much better options at wide receiver as well as the run game. So I think, yeah, he'll see a decent number of targets because it's a Bengals offense. They're going to throw a lot. They're going to have a lot of good things in the offense, but my probably bigger concern is a lot of the good things that we've seen out of Smith so far in his career has been his work in the red zone near the goal line, being able to um, score a touchdown a decent amount once he gets playing time in that situation. But the Bengals were above average in tight end routes near the goal line. And again, bottom three in terms of touchdowns by tight ends at the goal line. So even though they've had opportunities in terms of route run, they have not had opportunities in terms of touchdowns. So I'm not sure how much Smith is an upgrade over the tight ends they've had in the past in the goal line. I think, yeah, he was very young when he got into the league. So even though he's been in for a couple of years and dealt with a number of injuries, he's still relatively young. So he still has that upside of maybe he is better than the tight ends they've had in the past. But my concern is even if he is notably better, there's not enough passes to go around for him to reach that top five or maybe even top 10 production at tight end. So that's probably my biggest concern is I don't think he has quite the same amount of upside versus taking a chance on some of the other players who most of the guys I have above him are younger than him or immediately out of him younger than him. And the ones who aren't have been known to be able to score a number of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and, and I guess, yeah, that, that kind of approach for me, that kind of safe um, or, you know, 
consistency, I guess what I'm looking for kind of continues with like putting Zach Ertz as tight end 20 for me. Um, another guy that, you know, I, I think he'll be involved in enough in the offense. And even though it's a much worse offense than Cincinnati, um, unless Clayton Toon starts, but um, he should be more of a priority, you know, in the passing game, especially with uh, DeAndre Hopkins gone. I, I know Zach Ertz is far from like the sexiest name to target at this point in his career. But again, kind of one of those reliable, you know, solid performers that hopefully won't kill your fantasy team if you do have to start him. Even last year, he had like seven top 12 PPR finishes for the position. Position. That was with Kyler Murray uh, at quarterback. But again, you know, for more Clayton Tune propaganda, I think there's a chance that it could it could be better than expected um, if he gets a start. But it, for me, I don't think Zach Ertz is costing people much to draft. So I, I think you could definitely afford to leave him until that tier five tier five range where you have him. Um, I just think he's worth highlighting a bit earlier because of that kind of reliable production he offers. Whereas some of these other guys um, either haven't seen it before or, or maybe in that more boom bust territory that I try to avoid with tight end too. But um, yeah, I, there's, there's definitely a reason you could leave him um, until later in drafts for sure. But uh yeah, and it's worth noting with Ertz, there is the risk that uh, he is coming off an ACL injury, so he might not even be ready to start the season. Sure. So that's a little concerning. Um, Arizona's been fairly quiet in terms of how much they're willing to say about when they expect players to come back. So um, it's a little hard to know exactly when Ertz will be back. But even then, they did draft Trey McBride with the 55th overall pick a year ago. Um, they Gave him a ton of playing time over the stretch last season once Ertz went down with injury. So um, McBride will definitely be at least somewhat part of the offense. There's probably room for two tight ends in Arizona just because they don't have the depth at wide receivers. So we could see a lot of two tight end sets once both players are healthy. It's just hard for me to see Ertz being the player that he once was coming off an injury at his age when they just drafted his replacement a year ago. So there's also a chance that they end up trading Ertz or cutting Ertz at some point once he's healthy as well, just because this is definitely a rebuilding year in Arizona. And Ertz, while Travis Kelsey is the oldest player that you're considering drafting, Ertz is definitely up there in terms of how old he is compared to all the other players you're drafting at running back or wide receiver or tight end. So uh, he, we did see him be one of the better fantasy tight ends just two years ago, but I'd probably rather take a chance on some of the other players who you've probably drafted a guy who's reliable. So you probably want someone with a little more upside with your backup tight end. Since there are 12 players that you can at least put in your starting lineup this year. So I'd rather pair that with a younger player that we've been going over with. I know rookies don't have a strong track record of being great fantasy tight ends, but there's a number of rookies that I'd be fine taking a chance on just because if they don't work out, you can cut them and just try a different tight end. Since if you don't have one of the guys in tier one or tier two, then you're probably going to be struggling most of the year trying to find someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about the the injury. I probably shouldn't be uh, i guess but um i could definitely push him down as well too if there's if there's more news um about his recovery potentially causing him to miss the start of the season so um what do we go into the, this kind of last tier here this kind of like our late round flyer dart throw section here tier five um who are some of the names that that you put in this range uh sure we start with noah fat with seattle at tight end 22 um then i have Ertz at 23 
Uh, Luke Musgrave, the Packers rookie tight end at 24. Uh, Dawson Knox at 25. Uh, Taysom Hill at 26. Hayden Hurst at 27, now with the Panthers. Um, Michael Mayer with the Raiders at 28, the rookie there. And then Trey McBride at 29. And then Jelani Woods with the Colts at 30. Nice. All right. And then for me, tier five uh, starts at 22 as well with Hayden Hurst with the Panthers. Um, And then I put Jake Ferguson uh, with the Cowboys, Tyler Conklin with the Jets, uh, Mike Gusecki with the Patriots, Taysom Hill with the Saints, Noah Fant with the Seahawks, Michael Mayer with the Raiders, Dawson Knox with the Bills, and then Hunter Henry at tight end 30 uh, with the Patriots. But since this is again pretty much a dart throw range here what were some of the the guys that you know maybe are are some favorites of yours that that you'd want to highlight uh within this tier sure so i think the nice thing about this year is it feels like there are more dart throws that are worth throwing compared to some past years especially with some of the rookies that we've talked about um with uh musgrave and michael Mayer with the raiders this year in this tier and the guys that we had in tier four as well um, some of the younger guys, Trey McBride, like I said, could be stepping up this year. Uh, Jelani Woods, I think, is interesting with the Colts and in that Indianapolis, I feel like, has had talent at tight ends in recent seasons, but they've just had too many guys rotating in and out. But with the new coaching staff that has favored tight ends in the past, there's a chance that someone can emerge from that team. And I think Woods would be the player that emerges. So um, none of these guys are safe bets to do much of anything, but I think woods is someone who has the potential to get there and there's also a mix of guys who will probably be better than tight end 22 just without the possibility of being a top 10 tight end i think noah fant with seattle um they've liked using a rotation of tight ends and i think that'll continue this year plus they added more talent at wide receiver so um i think Fant will see plenty of targets just not enough to be a top 10 tight end but if you're in a league that for whatever reason is starting two tight ends, Fant's definitely there. I don't think Knox is completely going to go away in Buffalo and there's uh, still a chance that Knox can be a starter and see the majority of playing time. And like we said before, he's a touchdown machine. So there's a chance he'll be there. And then I believe we talked about Hill on the first episode, but Taysom Hill is an interesting player in that he was scored a ton of fantasy points last year, mostly as a rusher, a little bit as a receiver, a little bit as a passer, but the saints invested in more running backs this year. So they might not need hell as much rushing. They invested in a quarterback, so they might not need hell as much as a passer. And he is getting up there in age, which probably means his speed might be declining a little bit. So Um, I just don't expect Hill to be used as much on offense as he was in years past, but there's certainly a chance that he is. And if he is used as much as he was last year, then he can be a top 10 tight end potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good call. And then, yeah, a couple of the other guys uh, like that. I like to start throws. I put Jake Ferguson um, with the Cowboys, another one of those kind of maybe small sample size guys, but posted some impressive numbers, uh, 1.66 yards per route run, which was ninth at the position. Um, decent yak after per reception, which was ranked 13th. He had a 75.2 receiving grade. Um, which ranked 10th. Again, these are all minimum like 20 targets. Uh, but I think with McCarthy, maybe, 
potentially being the new play caller uh, in Dallas. We could see more of like a narrowed focused on one tight end in the Cowboys passing game. Dalton Schultz is gone now. Um, it could also potentially be a more pass heavy offense under McCarthy as well. Um, so I do like the the potential for more volume uh, for Jake Ferguson, even though he only played like 40% of the offensive snaps as a rookie last year. Um, there, I think his role could increase in year two. So he's a guy that I like kind of late. Um, and then Tyler Conklin as well with the Jets. Uh, you got Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers coming in, which could be a positive for Conklin as one of those late round tight end targets as well. We saw Hackett utilize Greg Dolchich uh, in kind of a fantasy relevant way last season by allowing more usage and targets to the slot uh, tight end than, than what the Jets did last season. Uh, Conklin feels like the favorite to play the tight end one role in that offense, which should also be an improved passing attack. We just saw him finish as PPR tight end 15 in 2022 on a really poor offense. So even with more target competition, potentially hurting some of his opportunities, that tight end 24 range in like the final two or three rounds uh, of drafts is is a nice value in my opinion. So um, you really just kind of wait till the end to to grab a lot of these guys. But um, those are a couple that, that I ended up liking. That's fair. Like some of them, I'm a little concerned about if there's going to be too many tight ends rotating in for playing time, which is why, um, like even in Dallas, they went with uh, Peyton Hendershot mm-hmm. and then they drafted that other tight end. So they have a couple guys in Dallas that I don't know if Ferguson will end up being the receiving guy. Um, Conklin will also have competition at tight end. Henry will also have competition. So yeah, if you're in some weird leagues where you're starting two tight ends then the guys i think i'd consider but if you're only starting one tight end it's a lot of this is you're trying to find the opportunity for them to be a top 10 guy and i have a hard time seeing it unless they clear cut get the top role on their team yeah yeah it's fair these guys are are all pretty much um again, kind of the dart throw range, but uh, just kind of depends who you like and and what your feeling is as you get towards that later part of your draft. But um, but yeah, that, that wraps up our 2023 positional previews with some fun discussion around uh, the tight end position. I, I hope everyone found that helpful. Uh, but speaking of fun discussions, we, we did want to add something new to the, the podcast could uh, could be like a quick little window into kind of who we are as well. But we wanted to do a, a recurring five round draft segment on random topics where we draft the best possible team of whatever, whatever topic it is for that week. And then they'll be able to kind of go head to head with each other. So uh, naturally for us, the the first idea that comes to mind was not football related, but instead we gravitated toward uh, drafting the strongest superhero teams as our first topic. Uh, So strongest being the key word there. So it's an important note, not overall power, which is where my mind went first, but um, just pure strength of like who would win in like a, a street fight kind of deal, I guess right does that make sense yep yes yep i thought this would be fun since it gives you a chance to get to know us better and we're sticking it at the end so if you only care about football and don't want to get to know us then you can (laughs) stop the podcast early and that's fine too so uh like you said we'll start with strongest superhero so then we can have other superhero topics in the future if we want we'll have random things if you have ideas of things you want us to draft definitely let us know on twitter or our discord uh, so we can have options in the future and whichever team you like best between us, uh, definitely let us know that too. But um, like you said, we'll have a five round draft and this week we'll let you have the first overall pick. So 
you are on the clock. Who are you taking for the strongest superhero? Yeah, so you've given me the first pick here. I don't, I don't know if it's like a mind game tactic or what, because I do feel like there's maybe an obvious 101. I, I just worry that there's also like an obvious counter to 101. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the counter here to potentially block against that. I, I have no idea if that was your plan or not, but I might be overthinking it. Um, so my, my first overall pick, I went with Superman Prime. Um, so from this is from Grant Morrison's DC One Million storyline. So if this isn't allowed, then I'll, I'll go with Superman, uh, just plain and simple Superman. But um, I, I had to protect against maybe choosing Superman and then you going over the top with me uh, with Superman Prime. But um, yeah, Superman, most powerful superhero, obviously there, there. But there is a version of him that is like infinitely more powerful, um, and the way he's depicted in in that storyline is having been absorbing the solar energy of like a tyrant sun called Solaris for 15,000 years, just making him like infinitely more powerful uh, than he already was. And he's like all gold so that he looks cool and different as well. But um, if that's cheating, then I'll say I'll say the boring and obvious answer of Superman. <laughs> now that's fine. I had Superman up there. You know more about comics than I do. I know more about the movies. So on my list, all I had was Superman, but I'll let you go with that version. Um, <laughs> I will, with my first pick, go with the Incredible Hulk. I'll put Hulk at number one. Um, definitely more of a Marvel guy myself. So probably will end up with a couple Marvel people on my list, but I think if you're going with strength in Marvel, it's hard to go with anyone other than the big green monster. Nice. Yeah. No, Hulk was Hulk was up there on my list as well. Um, but yeah, you're more Marvel. I, I'm actually more of a DC guy, but I do have, if I'm picking second here, I do have another Marvel guy and it's another comics guy. So people are People might get um, annoyed that they don't know who these people are, but um, he's called the Sentry. Um, he's Robert Reynolds from the Marvel comics. Um, some people might have heard of him. He's not a part of the MCU yet, so not one that most people are probably aware of, but he's he's kind of an interesting character. He was like a meth addict. He suffered from like some schizophrenia as well, and he got his powers from stealing an experimental version of the super soldier serum that, that made Captain America who he is, but of course, being an experimental version of that serum, it gave him completely different energy and power it was like a solar energy power which has been described as like the power of a million exploding suns um so superman-esque i guess for marvel um he's got all the same powers the strength speed flight and vulnerability and then they gave him like super intelligence as well so um <laughs> again comics gets pretty crazy it, there's definitely an obsession with the power of the sun um with some of these guys but uh, I'll, I'll put the sentry in there uh for my second pick all right. I've definitely heard of him, but I have don't know all that much about him. But when I did my research, definitely saw him on a number of lists. And then okay. my number two pick, I'm going with Thor from Marvel. Um, when I was doing my research, a lot of times there were a clear four people and Thor was one of those four pretty consistently. And other lists didn't leave him, didn't have him anywhere near those top ones just because he has the strength, but you don't really think of him in terms of his quality of strength because you think of his hammer and his lightning and all that other fun stuff. But he is clearly very strong. And at least in terms of what we've seen in the MCU, um, arguably beat the Hulk, even though he let his thunder and lightning help him a bit there in that fight. But he also didn't have his choice of weapons as much there. So um, I'm definitely happy to pair Thor and the Hulk together since they've had plenty of teamwork in the past. 
it's a nice team up for sure. And yeah, definitely super strong. I, I even like he's even kind of been nerfed a bit by the the MCU. Um in, in as far as his strength goes, he's even more powerful in the comics. But uh yep, that was one of my that was gonna be my next pick. So I might have to go off uh, off the the beaten path here again. Um I'm gonna go Okay, I'm going to go with uh, a character called Invincible. So this isn't a Marvel or a DC character, but it's one people might be aware of um, because it does have now an Amazon Prime animated show uh, based on it. But it's Robert Kirkman's uh, image comic series. Robert Kirkman created The Walking Dead and this Invincible series. He, again, maybe another like Superman-esque character. He's half human, half Viltrumite, which is like a basically Kryptonians um, for this, this universe doesn't start off as powerful, um, but he definitely gets more powerful as the series progresses um, to become like the most powerful, powerful superhero. Um, and he, he could fight for sure. There's some pretty epic fight scenes in that series as well. If anybody's read the comics, lots of gore and some gorgeous artwork from uh, Ryan Otley. Uh, but uh, the series has done a nice job. It's only one season so far. Uh, if anybody hasn't watched Invincible on Amazon prime. Fair enough. I have not watched it, so maybe I need to check that out. Check it out. Um, I will move away from Marvel for at least one pick and go with what I thought was the second most obvious option from DC. Uh, Wonder Woman was consistently in the top four, any list that I looked at. So I'm very happy to get her in the third round to join my roster. That's annoying. I was choosing between Wonder <laughs> Woman and, Invin and Invincible. Um, so you definitely got me there. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to go Wonder Woman. Damn it. Um, all right. I'll, I'll go one. Maybe more people have, have heard of here. Uh, also DC. I'm going with Green Lantern. Um, and this is Hal Jordan Green Lantern because of his power ring capable of creating and yielding any construct that he can imagine. So can make, you know, like the biggest and most powerful weapons with the ring force fields capable of withstanding super strength as well. Um, basically, the only limits to his power are his own imagination. But going with Hal Jordan Green Lantern, uh, he's the ultimate uh, kind of ring slinger, in my opinion. So that's my what is that fourth pick? Yep. So when I did my research, basically a lot of the things I looked at only looked at Marvel and DC and I'm like, I don't want to just go Marvel and DC for everything. So with my fourth pick, I will be going with Mr. Incredible from the Incredibles. Oh, nice. It's a good call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Dang. I was, see, I was looking yeah. at just comics, but that's a nice one. That's a good, yeah, that's but a like, good one. Even if I asked ChatGBT, it just automatically assumed that I wanted Marvel and DC listed that for everything. And I'm like, okay, how about superheroes that aren't in Marvel or DC? And then it just <laughs> went with a bunch of more niche comics. And then I'm like, okay, how about cartoons and movies and all that fun stuff too? So nice. going with Mr. Incredible. I like it. I like it. Okay. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, so this is my last pick here. Probably going to choose carefully, but I'm going with, so this maybe is Marvel's strongest hero, depending um, at not one actually is in the, in the MCU now. So it's Hercules. Um, he's the son of Zeus. Uh, he is a, a Marvel character now, and he was at the end of Thor love and thunder um, in the, yep. the post credit scene. So he's portrayed by, I can't remember the actor's name, but Roy Kent from Ted Lasso is, uh, is who he is. Um, but yeah, super strong, obviously um, maybe my favorite example of his strength. Uh, there was a Spider-Man storyline where aliens tried to steal the Island of Manhattan and ransom it off, um, which is again, the absurdity of comics, but um, Spider-Man and, and Hercules eventually they get it back. And then what he does is he pulls the entire Island of Manhattan on his own 
back into place and they estimate that it weighed like 99 billion tons or something like that so showing off his his brute strength there i went with uh hercules to round out my team Fair enough. I did have Hercules on my list of people that I was considering. I was prepared a few snipe, a few more of my picks. I also had She-Hulk and Captain Marvel as some of my options if I didn't get to Marvel people early. But if we're talking superheroes, I am a huge Power Rangers fan, so I can't have a superhero list without including a Power Ranger. Nice. Um, the Power Rangers aren't typically known for like individuals having specific superhero like attributes like super speed or super strength but there was one who was known for being um superhuman in terms of strength and that was katie walker the yellow time force ranger so i'm going with the yellow time force ranger for my fifth pick nice okay you got me there i i don't know enough about the power rangers uh, yeah to i knew i only needed to prepare you. nine people so right <laughs> i knew you were going to snipe that one Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. You got, you got me on wonder woman. Um, and then I think the only other one I had on my actually two more on my list. I also had captain Marvel on there just in case and uh, Shazam, um, the comic Shazam, not so much the the movie version, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was fun. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get, like you said, maybe a poll going on Twitter or something. And yeah. if people have ideas, let us know. Um, we'll get that out there maybe on Saturday or, or whenever, but uh, we'll leave it open for a few days as well. And um, if you have ideas, let us know. We'll have some fun with it. We'll get you guys, the listeners involved as well. But uh, that's it for, for this week. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you, Nate. I hope you had fun. Um, that was a nice mm -hmm. fun end to the pod as well. Um, but yeah, so we'll subscribe, uh, if you can to the PFF fantasy YouTube channel, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Um, and if you could subscribe to our PFF fantasy discord as well, you could join that. It's been sent out by our PFF underscore fantasy account, uh, multiple times you could find it there. And then new articles up on PFF.com this week. Anything from you, Nate? Uh, nothing for me. I have right. just been preparing for having a ton of articles starting probably the last week of June. I'll start having articles every weekday and sometimes even more, more than one article a day. Nice. Yeah. So for, for me, um, what do we got? I got uh, offensive scheme changes that potentially impact our fantasy players. I put two parts, a two part series on that out on pff.com. And then coming out tomorrow is one for the IDP. So defensive scheme changes um, that could impact our IDPs as well. So definitely check the, that out. And, and speaking of which, our next episode is actually going to be focused on uh, offensive scheme changes and their potential fantasy impact, which will be interesting um discussion for for those that do want to get really nerdy with the data like we do um i i know i always find those um nuggets and 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 tidbits from those those types of things are very interesting so i hope you guys will tune in for that uh thank you all again for listening and until next time peace out